I just want to give a quick report. As you know, we've been uh, being intentional about helping out uh, with some people who are staying in a hotel in our community. And this last week, we had uh, a bunch of you help out by donations, a bunch that came on Monday night to pack the bags together. We had 40-plus bags that we put together. And then there was 20-plus people that came to the hotel on Wednesday night as we handed out uh, the gifts. And we also had a great time of just talking with people and praying with people. Uh, there was a sweet presence of the Spirit of God as we were there. And uh, there, as you head out this, after the service today on the table right in the middle, there's a card. And that card is from all the people at the hotel. A bunch of them signed it. And um, so I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for the generosity. Thank you for prayer. Um, we're excited to see what God has for us as we move forward, as we continue to serve. Wednesday, uh, our youth are actually going to bring a Christmas meal over to the people that are there. Uh, the exciting thing is that uh, we were going to partner with a restaurant, uh, just like we did for Thanksgiving. Well, we're partnering with Norman Quacks, but Norman Quacks is donating all the meals. Right? So I have a request. Sometime in the next two weeks, if you don't feel like cooking, uh, call Norman Quacks and then say thank you for your donation. Tell them you're from Crossroads. And then buy some food, tip generously, and tell them that Jesus loves them. All right? This is a chance for us to give. We've been talking, you know, the gift that keeps on giving. We, we've taken some steps to give. Now this restaurant is going, hey, we want to be a part of that. And so let's, let's give back and help out in that way. I'm hoping that uh, you have, in your household, had an opportunity to do and be a part of the Ignite Your Generosity devotional uh, it's a 21-day thing, and we started on December 1, so technically tomorrow is the last day. You, you may have, you know, you may be behind a few days, which is just fine. I want to encourage you to continue to go through that devotional. Uh, I think we have some extra copies still. If for some reason you didn't get one and you didn't, uh, weren't a part of it from the beginning, you can, you can still do it. Uh, it has been uh, challenging for Terry and I as we've been reading through it of just re-looking at our generosity, how, how maybe we can even up the ante on generosity and how important for, it is for us to, to be generous. So uh, as you're wrapping that up, I'm just praying that, um, yeah, maybe God has challenged you in some way through that devotional. A part of our Christmas story that we visit every year is the part of the wise men or the magi who come from the east. Many 
think that the East is Babylon or in present-day Baghdad, Iraq, and many think that the these Magi were descendants of Daniel. Daniel, remember, was uh, rushed off into exile when the Babylons came in and took over Jerusalem. They brought the young men and the uh, over into Babylon, and that's where Daniel was. And there was a uh, a school that Daniel developed, and so many think that these Magi were part of the descendants of, not necessarily descendants of Daniel, as in he was their great, 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 whatever, but just in that education and in that line of, of, uh, uh, of education. And so as we look at that, I want us to think about the, the story of the Magi, and I want us to think about how, how it is that for me, it's, uh, it's just crazy how God would take something like the Jewish people being rushed off into exile, into Babylon, many, 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 many years before, and then out of that place comes wise men or magi to bless the king. So I'm have you turn into Matthew chapter 2. Uh, the, the words aren't going to be up on the screen for this today, but I'm just going to read this part of the Christmas story of the wise men visiting uh, Jesus and uh, Mary and Joseph. And let's remember, too, that this, this doesn't happen the same night as Jesus is born. This is a couple years later. That's the other thing when we tell the Christmas story. Sometimes we, we, we got Mary and Joseph, you know, we got our Advent uh, figurines. We got Mary and Joseph. We got the sheep and the shepherds, and we got the wise men. And well, they weren't all together on Christmas Eve. The, the wise men came a couple years later. So Matthew chapter 2 starts out this way. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when he, it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for whom you shall... For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. These wise men came bearing gifts, and I thought this was appropriate for our series, The Gift That Keeps on Giving. They came bearing gold and frankincense and myrrh, and I'm sure you have heard uh, a number of messages about gold and frankincense and myrrh and how it's a, you know... It's the right gift for a king. You have gold for a king. You have even the frankincense and myrrh are used can 
be used in, in the burial process, so it's a gift to be prepared for when Jesus dies and rises again. There's a prophetic thing in there, and those are all good, but I want to take a real practical look at these three gifts, because sometimes giving is just plain practical, even giving from God. So, gold. Gold is basically money, right? Well, what happens is that uh, Joseph has a dream, finds out that King Herod is going to, wants to kill the Christ child, and so King Herod begins killing all the young boys that are two and, and under, and so the angel in a dream tells Joseph to take Jesus and Mary and go to Egypt. Now, if you're going to leave your home and go to another country, what do you need? Money, right? Plain and simple, you need some cash. Because even if Joseph was a carpenter like, like he was, he, he may not get a carpentering job right away. It may take him a little while to generate enough business to get cash flow to take care of things. So maybe this gift of gold was just plain and simple, practical, providing money for Mary and Joseph to go to Egypt. Frankincense is, you know, an aromatic resin. It's used in incense and perfumes. We, we know that. But what we also find out about frankincense is that um, it is used for medicinal purposes. It's used to help manage pain or swelling of various kinds of diseases. So, again, so maybe practical... Maybe it's just to provide for Mary and Joseph so when they go to another country, maybe they experience other diseases. And so here's an opportunity for them to have some frankincense to use medicinally while they're in Egypt. I don't know. I just, that seems very practical. And sometimes I'm, I'm really practical with some of this stuff. Same way with myrrh. It is extracted from trees. It is used as in perfume and incense but it also has medicinal purposes, mostly for the stomach and the intestines and congestion and even dealing with parasites. And what do you know about when you go to another country and sometimes you go to another country and drink water and eat food. If you've ever gone to another country and ate their food and you get, you know, you spend a lot of time running to the bathroom, maybe... Maybe these gifts were just extremely practical gifts for two people who were called by God to raise the Christ child. And part of the journey was going to another country to face things that they had no idea they were going to face. But God knew and God provided the money they needed and the medicine they needed for whatever they faced. Could receiving things from God and giving things to others be that simple? One of the things that I take away from this is that um, if God calls me to do something, 
God will provide what I need to do it. Clearly, as we look at even this little adventure that we're on with uh, the people at the hotel where we're just, it was something that was laid in our lap and we just said, hey, we, I think we're supposed to do something here. And so we did. We just, we just did whatever we felt like the Spirit was leading us to do and all of you began to give generously towards it, and then there's an, a restaurant in town that gives towards it. It's, it's a principle here when it comes to giving and receiving, the, the gift that keeps on giving. What, remember, we're blessed to be a blessing. When we have everything we need, even if your checkbook is empty, you have everything you need, and when God calls you to do something, do it. Don't worry about how. Don't worry about the resources. Just say, okay, God, I'm going to step out and I'm going to do it. I'm going to let you provide. That's a lesson that I take away from this. There's, there's a principle here within the kingdom of God, and uh, we find it in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and it's this principle it is this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The metaphor here is, of course, an agricultural one, and it's one that we understand and the Jewish people would understand as Jesus is talking about this, and even as Paul is talking about it here. The principle is this, whatever you sow, whatever, whatever seed you put into the ground, you, you will reap from it. You will get a harvest from it. So if you put five seeds in the ground and you get corn seeds and you get like four or five years of corn out of it, you will get 20 or so years of corn. Now, if you look at your neighbor and your neighbor has 200 years of corn from his harvest, you can't be jealous because most likely he put like 50 seeds in the ground. The kingdom principle is, it's really up to you. How generous you are is how you will experience generosity back towards you. There's nothing magical about this principle. It's just kingdom stuff. If you choose to live your life like a miser and not generous, then you will experience life in a not generous way. It's that simple. But if you choose to be very generous... You, you will experience generosity. Uh, Terry and I can, I can go through tons of stories. We were blessed. The reason and why we were blessed is both of our parents modeled generosity. So we grew up going, that's just the way you're supposed to do it. Because it was modeled that way. And we have experienced that, being really generous 
We don't have a super fat checkbook and, you know, we're, we're not super wealthy. And it's not about being super wealthy. It's just we have never been in need. We've always had more than we needed. Always. Always, even in the toughest times when I told you before the church was six months behind in paying, even in that, we had all we needed. Never wanted anything. So that's why this series for me, the gift that keeps on giving, is so important for us, is understanding that the gift we have received, Jesus, is meant to be given away. The gift that keeps on giving. We receive, we give to somebody else. They receive, they give, they receive, they give. It just keeps on going, it just keeps on going. We started out this series, talked about the gift of giving, that giving is a gift. Then we talked about the gift of relationships, how we receive the relationship through Jesus, relationship with God, receive relationship with others, and we are to give that away, meaning we are to look for those who are in need of relationship, and we are to reach out and give them relationship, bring them to Jesus, but also... Are they lonely? Then let's, let's go there. Also, there, there's a point is, if you're experiencing loneliness, call somebody. R- reach out. You take the initiative. It, it's, a, it's a gift giving and receiving thing. It just keeps going around and around. Last we talked about the gift of hope. Living hope from Jesus. <laughs> we have no need to fear Anything, because we have hope, a better future. This that we experience right now is just momentary. Today we're going to talk about the gift of freedom. Galatians 5 says this, It is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. So the first thing that we're going to look at is the gift we receive. It's freedom. What is freedom? The dictionary tells us freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. For us in the West, freedom is everything. It's what we live for. It's what some have died for. It's this freedom. We talk about it often. We want the freedom to act and speak and think the way I want to. As a church, we want the freedom to worship God the way we want to. We don't want to have any limitations or restrictions. But as we know... 
all freedoms have limitations. There really is no total freedom to act and speak and think as one wants to without hindrance or restraint. And the reason for that is because there's evil in the world, right? And sometimes people use their freedom to do bad things. In Galatians, this is part of what Paul is dealing with is this freedom. You see, some of the Jewish Christians were saying that Paul was deluding Christianity, which seems funny for us, or at least for me, because we, we know that Paul <laughs> doesn't delude it. But for them, these Jewish Christians, they thought that Paul was deluding the gospel because... He wasn't requiring them to do what Jewish people have done for centuries. More specifically, be circumcised. Paul says to the Gentile believers, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, as new believers, they had received this amazing freedom. Freedom from what? Well, freedom in the first century, um, the, the issue was, how does Jewish Christians who, got to remember now, think about the Jewish Christian back in the first century. Their whole history has been waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for their Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, theirs, their whole history, waiting for their Messiah. All of a sudden, they come to the realization that Jesus is their Messiah. Thank you, Jesus. They're excited. But now, Paul's telling them, well, this Messiah is not just for you, it's for the whole world. And now these Gentiles start coming in. They don't follow the dietary laws. They're not circumcised. They, they don't celebrate the holiday, the Jewish holidays like we celebrate. How do we let these people in? Paul, you're deluding our faith. And what Paul is saying by speaking to the church in Galatia, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and don't let the, yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. In essence, what Paul is saying, the Spirit of God is on the move don't stop it. Don't get in the way. Do you see the lives that are being changed in these Gentile people? Don't stop it. And those of you who are Gentiles that are Christians, what the Spirit of God is doing, don't let yourself be burdened down by laws and restrictions. 
What the Jewish Christians needed to see is the generosity of God. The Messiah that God sent was, was the Messiah for the Jews, yes, but the Jews were supposed to give him away. Just what we were talking about. We receive from Jesus, we give away. And the Jewish people had a hard time giving Jesus away freely. They couldn't see that they were hindering what God's Spirit was doing. They couldn't see that the main thing was found in verse 6, faith expressing itself through love. That's the main thing. Circumcision, not the main thing. All the Jewish laws and rules and holidays, not the main thing. Whatever other law mankind makes up, not the main thing. Main thing is faith expressing itself in love. So what are the implications for us today? At times we as a church do the same thing. We put requirements on people either before they become a follower of Jesus or after they become a follower of Jesus. We say, here are the rules you have to live by. For me, when I was growing up, is you don't dance, you don't drink, and you don't go out with girls that do. And then you don't play cards. You can play the one cards, you know, the rook ones, but you can't play the other cards. And you can't dance, but you can go roller skating. Those were the rules that I grew up around. Makes me wonder what are the rules we have today. Maybe the rules are if you're going to be a Christian, you have to vote a certain way. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to be a part of a certain political party. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to focus on social justice. Or if you're a Christian, you don't focus on social justice. Whatever your bent is. We all have our parameters that we put on people. Because as much as I desire freedom... I really don't want somebody else to have the same freedom. Really. Really. If you read our history, or church history, there's kind of this cycle that happens within the church. A few people are crying out to God for His Spirit to move. They begin sharing the gospel with the people around them, the good news of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, the Spirit starts moving. Revival starts happening. There's this wave of growth. There, there's this, it's, a, it's amazing. Revival people are coming to know Jesus all over. And then it gets large. And, and you got people on the extremes doing some things. And so all of a sudden, we got to put some organization and structure around this because it's going to get out of hand. And then that organization or structure becomes a denomination. And then that denomination puts in leaders to have all kinds of rules because we don't want people to do or believe or say things that we don't think is right. And then the revival fizzes out. 
because we have hindered the Spirit of God and what He's doing. That is the history of the covenant denomination. We're just like every other denomination. The Moravians in Germany were experiencing a revival. That revival bled over into Sweden and Norway. And the state church was freaking out because people were reading the Bible for themselves and were being transformed. It was an amazing thing. People were coming to know Jesus. And then the new world opened up. And so they began coming over to America to worship God in freedom. And things were growing and people were coming to know Jesus. And then there was all this debate about whether we should have a denomination for years. It was like, no, we don't want to be a denomination because all they could think of the state church and we don't want to stop what God is doing. But what happens? We eventually became a denomination. It's the same as the Methodists and certain segments of the Pentecostals and the Lutherans and all the denominations. When it comes to rules that we have, I have this theory. This is something that, as I thought about this, I think of like the revivals in the, the Great Awakening in the early 1900s, people experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, and these people that experienced the power of the Holy Spirit didn't want to get anything to get into the way of that, and they, they began to think, you know, Drinking can get in the way of that, so I'm going to stay away from that. And dancing could get in the way of what the Spirit is doing because, you know, just the environments that dancing happens in back then and even playing cards and all these things were things that I don't want to do because I don't want it to get in the way of what the Spirit of God is doing in me. And then those people who are experiencing the Great Awakening have kids and they in their household, we don't do these things. And maybe they have communication with their kids about why, because we don't want the Spirit of God to be stopped by any habits or things that we choose to do. And then the kids have kids, and they said, we don't drink and we don't dance, and they forget to tell the story of the Great Awakening and not wanting to hinder the Holy Spirit. And then the great-grandkids comes on, and now it's these old-fashioned rules and they break them and they just say, they bust away because they don't know why the rules are there. Because now it's no longer choices because I'm free in Jesus and I don't want to hinder that freedom. Now it becomes a law and if you break the law, you sin and if you sin, you go to hell. And see, I grew up in the you break the rules your parents have set for you or the church has set for you and you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Change that to the Spirit of God is moving and I choose to step away from those things because I don't want to hinder what the Spirit of God is doing. You see the freedom we receive from Jesus?
The message from Paul is simple. Christ has set you free. You're free. It's a done deal. Do you believe it? Do, be, do you believe that you're free? You're free from sin. You're free from the bondage of addiction. You're free from the bondage of man-made rules. You're free from the past wounds and hurts that your parents may have inflicted on you because they're human. You're free from the bondage of fear. And all freedom has a cost. And Jesus paid it already. You ain't got nothing to pay. It's a done deal. You are freedom. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world around us or happening what's happening in our world within us. You are free. Do you know that the Christians in China a communist country where Christianity is outlawed, they're free. Do you know the Christians in Iraq that is run by Muslims and they could die for their faith? They are free. Do you know, and I mentioned this before, that when I was in China many, many years ago, back in 1982, when the doors were just opening up to the West, we met a Christian woman who had spent years in prison because of her faith, had been beaten because of her faith, had no idea what her next job would be because they would eliminate it because of her faith. She was more free than I ever met anyone before. She came and met with us even though it could get her in a huge bunch of trouble and she could be put back in prison. She came and met with us and stayed with us and shared her testimony and her stories. She had no fear. You and I need to believe that we are free. And one of Satan's tactics is to let you know that you're not. That whatever you're bound up by, that you cannot get out of that. But Paul tells us that we can because Jesus already paid the price. In 2 Corinthians 10, he says, For though we live in a world, we, we do not wage as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What is the arguments that Satan uses? He says, the only way you're going to be free is if you're in a better marriage or out of the marriage you're in. The only way you're going to be free is if you make more money. The only way you're going to be free is if your political party wins. Do I need to go on? Satan wants you to know that your circumstances 
hold you slave and you have nothing that you can do. Jesus says, I have given you freedom. Paul says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, which means, it's part of what we talked about last week, no matter what happens, we proclaim the hope and the glory of Jesus Christ. No matter what's going on, it's, we, we should be professing hope. Why? Because we have received hope. We should be proclaiming freedom. Do you feel bound up in your marriage? Begin to take captive every thought and, and realize that your marriage has no control over your freedom. You have freedom already in Jesus Christ. Your pocketbook does not determine your freedom. I have freedom because Jesus has made me free. I'm, I'm keep repeating this because this is, I think, in our culture and in today, one of Satan's greatest tactics is to get us to believe that whatever we're facing in our circumstances, that, that we can't do anything until we get beyond that circumstance, and nothing in the gospel says that that's true. Because it's done already. You are free. You have hope. Now proclaim Jesus in your situation because that's what we're called to do. We also um, not only receive freedom from things, we receive freedom for uh, Galatians 5, 6 says that we are to express faith working through love. We have freedom for helping others, for impacting people with the love of Jesus, for proclaiming. It's not just from, it's for. And not only that, Paul talks about in Galatians 5 that not only do we have a freedom from and for things, but we have freedom we, we do not receive a freedom to do whatever we want to do. Whatever we want to indulge our flesh for, nope. Verse 13 of chapter 5, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another with humil humble uh, humility in love. It's, it's that simple. That's what we use our freedom for. So this freedom we receive is a freedom we need to give away. The gift we give to others then is freedom. So how do we give freedom away? We tell people that whatever addiction they're in doesn't match up to Jesus. And we bring them to Jesus. Whatever fear, whenever they're proclaiming fear, you say, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't need to be afraid. Jesus. We don't, uh, if, if people are afraid of not meeting up or matching up to whatever, whatever the world says, this is the way you live, we say, no, don't worry about it. It's about Jesus. Evangelist Reggie Dabb, who speaks to teens in their high school all around the United States, Every year, thousands and thousands of teens. We had him in our high school in Rockford, and he spoke. And um, 
I've never seen an evangelist in a public school proclaim the gospel without actually saying Jesus. I literally felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in that high school auditorium. You see, for Reggie, he doesn't care whether the teens meet up to any standards. He just wants them to know Jesus. And that's his, he said, Brad, my first thing that I want to do is I want to introduce them to Jesus. Once they meet Jesus, then I let the Spirit begin to work on behaviors. So the other way for us to give freedom is just give people Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. I sound like a broken record, but that's what it's all about. It's bring them to Jesus. And then the gift that others receive from us, this freedom, now what happens? When I give somebody else freedom through Jesus, they experience that freedom and then they give it away. And it just keeps on going and keeps on multiplying. And the gift of Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. Are you free today? I mean, seriously, are you free? Are you free from the bondage of sin or addiction or fear or whatever? If not, I'm going to ask you to come forward after the service and we have prayer partners up here. They want to pray for you. They want to encourage you. They want to proclaim freedom for you through Jesus Christ. If you're feeling pretty free, I'm feeling pretty free. It's always good to, on occasion, when you're alone, ask the Spirit, hey, is there anything in my life that I'm in bondage to? Show me today. And for those of you who are feeling pretty free, during this last song, ask Jesus to show you, is there anything in your life that you need freedom from? Then, if, you're, if Jesus shows you something, come forward and have prayer. Or grab somebody you are friends with and say, will you pray for me? And then, begin to take every thought and make it captive to Jesus. Every thought. What does that look like, Brad? You get up tomorrow, you get another bill in the mail, you're not quite sure how you pay it. Fear starts rising up. Anxiety starts rising up. You start, uh, just say, no. Jesus, you have set me free. I'm going to do what I can about this, but I'm going to trust in you and provide. Or you have an addiction. Maybe it's an addiction to porn or to spending money. Whatever the addiction, you feel that temptation come at you. You say, no, 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 wait. I am free from that addiction already. 
And if you come forward and receive prayer from me, you can go, yeah, yesterday I was at church and I prayed with some people and it's, and it's done. Or maybe you've had people pray over you in the past. It's done. You just, nope. You go to Jesus. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Because sometimes even I fear. God, why do you have me as a pastor? I'm going to fail at this. Why do you have me leading this motley crew? You guys are really good people. I love you. But you have to understand, I have moments I get up in the morning and fear rises. Am I doing the right thing? I have to go, no, 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 no. Jesus called me here. I'm obedient to that call. I'm going to do what God brings to my mind and my heart. I'm going to lead as well as I can, and I'm going to trust the Spirit of God to guide and direct and do what He can do. I'm not going to walk in fear. I choose today. Join me in choosing to walk in freedom.